0: Hey, this is Steve with Life Worth Living. Last week's podcast, we began to look at the, uh, an introduction to the book of Isaiah. Boy, what an interesting book. What a multifaceted book. It's got pieces of it that are historical in nature, pieces of it that are prophetic, uh, certainly pieces about pro- prophesying about who Jesus was to be as the Messiah, And then, and then a series of sermons that Isaiah preached over the course of his ministry, um, which was pretty lengthy over the course of four kings in Judah. Um, But, anyways, last week we were looking at at this introduction of of chapter one of Isaiah, and it was really trying to uh, trying for us to understand uh, what rebellion can do to us. Rebellion, rebellion is very destructive. And as we read in in verse 3 of Isaiah 1, there Isaiah says, The ox knows its master, the donkey knows its manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And that's what rebellion does. It makes you dull. It makes you not know or able to know Jesus. In other words, you can't have a relationship with, with someone who you're rebelling against. So you don't know them. You don't know who they are. You don't know their purpose. You don't understand them. And that's what happens when we rebel against God. We don't understand God. We don't understand his nature. His nature is good. God's purpose is good. And he has good, good intentions towards us. But When we're in rebellion against him, we can't understand that. And that's what this verse says. Israel doesn't know. My people don't understand. And it was because they were, uh, in fact, rebellious. And what happens when you don't know God, you don't know his purpose, you don't know his nature, that's what leads to hopelessness. When you don't know God, you become a hopeless person. And you can't experience his love. You can't have that inner strength that so many of us uh, pursue in life. Well, that inner strength comes only through faith in Jesus Christ. And so rebellion destroys all possibility of hope, of faith, of love. Then in verse 4, as we were reading last week also, it says, uh, Isaiah says, woe to the sinful nature, a people whose guilt is great. That means an unatoned uh, sin—it's—it's it's a guilt that you can't get rid of, and I don't know about you, but I hate having a guilty conscience. <laughs> it, it bothers me. Well, here the 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 sinful nation, this rebellious nation, their guilt was great. It was unatoned for. It was always hanging over them, constantly reminding them of their shortcomings. The this verse goes on in verse four. It says, "A brood of evil doers, children given to corruption." Wow, this word corruption, I, I was really trying to study and study it and understand it, and it it literally means a distortion of the truth. In other words, you think you know what's true, but that 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 understanding is distorted. And so your perspective is wrong on life in general. So corruption is a very bad thing. Verse four, it continues, it says, They have forsaken the Lord. Listen to these three verbs here they have forsaken the Lord. The second verb, they have spurned the Holy One of Israel. And thirdly, they've turned their backs on him. And these are three steps. If you've listened to the last podcast, these are three progressive steps of rebellion. First of all, you forsake the Lord. Then you spurn him, which means literally to kick him (laughs) whenever he's trying to prod you as as a um, as a person would prod an oxen to kind of get it turned in the right direction, the co- the oxen would kick against the goad. In other words, they would kick against that which was spurning them, or, or excuse me, uh, trying to poke them. And it was referred to as spurning. And so, whenever God is trying to kind of poke you and prod you to get you going in the right direction, if you kick against that, that's referred to as spurning the Holy One of Israel, that's the second phase or second step of rebellion, and the third one is turning your back on Him entirely, which literally means to join another family, or worse still, go from being married to someone to becoming a prostitute, a very, very uh, picturesque, horrific movement from one from one stage to another of rebellion terrible. And so we don't want to take these progressive three steps of rebellion. But an, another interesting uh, point that's made in this verse four uh, is is reference made to the Holy One of Israel. Now Isaiah is th- this term is used in Isaiah more than any other book, in the Old Testament, or for that matter, in the Bible. It's used 26 times, and if you stop and think about it and break this, this term down, the Holy One of Israel, holy means God was separate from Israel's sin, but in the same breath, he's referred to this Holy One of Israel. While he's separate from Israel, he still is associated with Israel. He still connected to Israel. He still loved the nation of Israel, even though they were rebellious and stiff-necked. He still had a covenant relationship with Israel. Now, the, the connotation here of the Holy One of Israel was this, is that he was willing to contend with Israel because he cared with them. And I want you to stop and think, how many times have you been maybe a little bit ungodly maybe turned your back on God and God still went after you he still confronted you Uh, I know this has happened so many times to me he confronted me even when I was opposed to him or against him that's what the holy one of Israel means and man what a name of God what a powerful uh picture of who God is he doesn't give up on us and he's willing to confront us and contend with us until we get back on the right path. Well, let's read on in verse verse 5. We'll go read on from five, verse 5 to verse 7 of Isaiah 1. It says, why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there's no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores. Not cleansed or bandaged or soothed by olive oil. Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields have been stripped by foreigners right before you. Laid waste as, when, as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left. In other words, the daughter of Zion would have been the nation of Israel. Is left like a shelter in a, shelter in a vineyard. Like a hut in a cucumber field. Like a city under siege. So the question here is, if you turn your back on God in a rebellious manner, what can you expect to happen to you? And I think we all need to be aware of this. Hey, if I if I consciously rebel against God, what is going to happen to me? Well, you walk away from his protection. The closer you are to God, the safer you are. What an amazing thing that is. You can expect some bad things to happen in these scriptures. They tell us what they are. First of all, you can expect to be beaten, not by God, not by God, but as you walk away from his protection, evil will beat you. (laughs) It also says that your head will be injured. And I want you to stop and think about that. Think about all the mental illness we see in our society. It seems like it's ever growing. That's a result of not being under God's protection. If you are close to God, you're going to have incredible peace of mind. You're not going to tend to worry as much. The closer you are to God, the, the stronger mentally you will be, the stronger spiritually you'll be. Um, and so the third thing that's mentioned here is you'll have an afflicted heart. If you walk away from God, you'll have an afflicted heart. Well, what's an afflicted heart? Well, the heart is, is where your affections are. The things that you desire so as you're farther away from God you're going to be more distracted more self-centered you will have harmful desires that will consume you and you'll have a tendency to love this world we all do the farther away we come we we move away from God the more we're going to love this world we're going to be materialistic we're going to be idolatrous we're going to love things that that will consume us and and consume our affections, and so um, these are the things that that happen when we rebel a God now, against God. Now I want to switch gears here and look at understanding. If if this is what happens when we rebel, we need to understand what repentance can do for us. The flip side of the coin, either rebellion or a lifestyle of repentance. And so I want us to understand what repentance can do for us. And the rest of Isaiah chapter one addresses this. Let's read on in verse nine, unless the Lord almighty had left us some survivors, don't forget that term, some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah, two cities that were destroyed for their godlessness in the old Testament. Hear the word of the Lord you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of, of, of Gomorrah. The whole book of Isaiah is geared towards that remnant, that remnant of, of Israel. Those few people, those sole survivors that, that refused to live a sinful life, and live, and instead lived a godly life, the remnant of Israel. So the whole book of Isaiah is written towards for that remnant of Israel. Now what, what would have that, what constituted that remnant of Israel? It was those who were loyal to God. And I want to ask you a question right now. Be, be brutally honest with yourself. How loyal are you to God? who claims your allegiance if if it comes right down to it which side of the fence are you willing to to stand on and i want you to think a little further of this when we talk about that remnant the the that surviving part of people who are dedicated and loyal to god there's only a remnant of yourself that can go to heaven there's only a part of yourself that can go to heaven not all of you Will enter into the kingdom of God if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. God's lifelong work in your life is for you to get rid of your old self, to die to the old self, the greedy part of you, the mean part of you, the selfish self, and only have your new self given over to that life of Jesus. That's the remnant of you. That's the part of you that can go to heaven. And so, um, In Galatians 2.20, it really puts it in perspective. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Well, what on earth does that mean, I no longer live? That means the old part of you, the sinful nature, the part of you that you wish you could get rid of anyways, that part of you has been crucified with Christ so that Christ can live in you. He needs to live in you to regenerate you, to make you pure, to make you clean, to make a new life in you. Uh, Galatians 2.20 goes on and says, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So there's only a part of us that can get to heaven, a remnant, and that Isaiah, that book of Isaiah is written to that part of you that is willing uh, to live for Jesus. Let's read on in verses uh, verse 11 and the following verses after that. Listen to this, and consider the thought of religiosity. I think most of us are sick and tired of religiosity. In fact, we would call religious people, tend to call them hypocrites, because they, they pretend to be one way, but oftentimes their lives reflect a different story. And so consider the, the topic or the concept of religiosity in these verses the multitude of your sacrifices what are they to me says the lord i have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and fat of fatted animals i take no pleasure in the blood of bulls lambs or goats see back then the way to uh, to seek forgiveness of sin was to sacrifice an animal on your own behalf instead of you having to suffer that animal would suffer and that's it's common amongst Uh, all kinds of archaic religions that blood had to be offered on behalf of that person who had done something wrong. So in verse 12, it says, when you come to appear before me, uh, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? In other words, going to church and just showing up in church, but not having a changed life. Verse 12, stop bringing meaningless offerings your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations—I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Now, new moons and Sabbaths were were religious days. They were times that people focused on God, and and God was saying, "Stop pretending when you come in on a religious festival, a religious day, to be something that you're not." Your new moon feast and your appointed festivals—I hate with all my being. They've become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. This is God speaking here. When you spread your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. And what this meant is these people were coming in very religiously, but their lives were not reflecting any level of goodness or godliness. And what I get from this is God hates religion every Christian, every Christian, I believe, struggles with religiosity. And and what is religiosity? Well, I've already alluded to it, but it's pretending to be someone in order to hide the out-of-control inner mess of your life. Think about it. We all put up a front. We all try to show our best front to, to everybody around us, but inside, are we a mess? Are we falling apart? Are we a failure? Let me tell you what, pretending something to be that we're not is one of the most miserable exercises, practices you can you can have in life. There's nothing like being transparent because only when we're transparent can God begin to change our inner selves and make us from the inside out who we need to be. But what is, what is God looking for? Um, let, let me back up to this uh, this other scripture. In 1 Samuel sixteen seven. 7, um, here the prophet Samuel is being spoken to by the Lord. He's trying to find the next king of Israel, and God tells him this. He says, do not consider his appearance, his height, for I have rejected him. This was a brother of David. <laughs> if you read the story, it's really interesting there in 1 Samuel 16. But here's the key. Uh, God says to Samuel, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Do you see that? God looks past the external appearance, the the, the pretending that we do, and he looks directly at our heart. Did you know that you can't hide anything from God? And if you can't hide anything from God, why try? <laughs> Be transparent with God. But what is God looking for in the heart of man? What is God looking for in your heart? Well, this is wonderful. In Micah, another book of the Bible, Micah 6, 8, God says there's three things I'm looking for in the heart of man, in a human heart. In other words, in the inner person. All right? And here they are. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here's the three things: To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I love that. So, so, so straightforward, so clear. What is it to act justly? Well, it's to do things for God's sake, not for your own sake. If you're going to act justly, You're going to stop doing things to gain credit for yourself, and you're going to start doing things to give the credit to God. That's what it means to act justly. To love mercy, the second item here. What is it to love mercy? It's to give people a break when they mess up. Don't you appreciate it when others give you a break when you mess up? Well, do the same thing for others. Love mercy. And the third thing, walk humbly with your God. What is that? Well, I've already mentioned it a couple of times. It's living transparently with God. It's no longer putting up false pretenses or excuses or false claims, and saying, "God, I am who I am. I need your help to make me a better person." That's what it is to walk humbly with God. Well, let's read on here. We're talking about we're talking about repentance. By the way, repentance has everything to do with being transparent, living transparently with God. And here's here's a thought for you. If you live transparently with God, you will also live transparency, transparently with those around you. And nothing will gain people's trust more than you being a transparent person. But let's read verse 16 of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 1. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. And listen to this, stop doing wrong, learn to do right. Those two phrases popped out when I read this for myself. I was doing my own personal devotions, sitting reading the Bible one morning. These two phrases popped out and hit me so hard, square in the face, if you will. Stop doing wrong and learn to do right. Now I want you to I want you to get this. It doesn't say stop doing wrong and do right. It says learn to do right learn to do right that helps me so much because i think you know god has a short short patience short fuse and if i don't get it right the first go around he's going to pound me but that's not who god is did you know the main uh jesus was referred to more than anything else He was referred to, when he lived here on earth, he was referred to as teacher. Teacher. He wasn't referred to as a referee. He wasn't referred to as uh, an autocrat, a dictator. He was referred to as a teacher. Now, if you think of the best teacher you ever had, maybe you can't think of one, but hopefully you can, whether it was in elementary school or in high school and college, maybe it was a mentor that you had, Uh, in your job. Who knows who is a good teacher? Jesus was a better teacher than the best teacher you've ever had. And the key attribute of a good teacher is their patience. And look here, it says, stop doing wrong and learn to do right. God is patiently trying to teach you to do right. All you need to do is patiently learn. Okay, be patient with yourself. If God is patient with you, you need to give yourself a break as well and be patient with yourself. This verse goes on, though, in, in uh, verse 17. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. If God is asking you to do that, he's doing that himself. God is a good God. He deserves our full transparency, our repentance, our our desire to turn away from doing wrong and learning to do right. Let me tell you something, a little secret that I've learned but continue to learn. Before you can do right, you need to learn to think right. Did you get that? Before you can do right, you need to learn to think right. Philippians 4 8 gives us this wonderful formula for turning our thinking around. You see, your behavior can't change until your thoughts start changing, your attitudes start changing. But in Philippians 4 8, it says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In other words, think on these things. So before you can change the way you do things, you've got to change the way you think. And once you you start changing the way you think, your behavior is going to change. That's why the Bible says here, right here, think on good things instead of thinking on bad things and your behavior will follow suit. Uh, this verse goes on in Philippians 4 and verse 9 now. The things which you learned, there is that word. The things that you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that wonderful? God knows that we need to learn. And it starts, the way we learn is is by changing the way that we think. We need to learn to change the way that we think. All right. So, uh. Let's, let's read on here. This is, this is awesome. Uh, in, in verse 18 of Isaiah 1, we're going back to Isaiah 1. God says, come now, let us settle this manner matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, crimson they shall be like wool. Look at this. I, I love how this verse reads. God says, I'm going to settle the matter. The sin that you're struggling with, I'm going to completely remove it. And I'm not only going to remove it, I'm going to make it the exact opposite of what you've experienced. It's not just the absence of sin. I'm going to put righteousness in you and make you the exact opposite of who you used to be. God says, I'm settling the matter. I'm going to do it. All you need to do is repent. Wow. So listen to this. I'm going to be transparent here with you. I'm going to practice what I preach. How about that? Listen to this. I am naturally a gambler and greedy, and I am. But God has settled the matter and has made me a generous person. Isn't that cool? He didn't just take my gambling nature out of me. He replaced it with a generous nature. Here's another one. I'm naturally an addictive person, but God has settled the matter. Just like we just read, he settles the matter and he has set me free from my addictions. I am naturally lustful, but God has settled the matter and has given me eyes only for my wife and made me enduringly faithful to her. I am naturally ambitious, but God has settled the matter and has made me a submissive servant of Jesus Christ. Powerful. Now, let me give you a scripture that has absolutely transformed my life because I've seen it at work in my life. In Hebrews eleven thirty-four, it says, whose weakness was turned to strength. And I'll give you even a, a practical one. At work, I remember when I first started my career, I was out of control, I was disorganized, I was undisciplined. I couldn't keep track of my tasks. I'd let things slip through the through the cracks and and I would I'd get in trouble for it. But you know God took that weakness that I had of being administratively weak. He took that and he has changed it and he's made me administratively strong now. Isn't that incredible? He took my weakness and he's actually turned it into my strength. He can do the same for you. All you need to do is repent. And he will He will do it. I want you to know that who you are destined to be through God's grace. All you have to do is picture the opposite of your own natural tendencies. If you're a poor man, money manager, God's grace he has, he's predestined you to be a strong money manager. If you were a, a lame wife or lame husband, God has, pre- his, 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 his uh, predestined future for you is the exact opposite of your weakness, to be a good spouse. If you're, uh, you're a bad parent, his predestined future for you is to make you a very strong, good, awesome parent. So all you have to do to get a picture of what God's uh, plan is for your life, take the opposite of your natural tendencies. All right, let me read on here. We're not too far from being done. Verses 19 and 20 of, of Isaiah 1, it says, If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Consider this this week as you have time. As you're maybe you're driving in your car, maybe you're laying there with insomnia, you can't sleep at night. Consider the differences between being willing and obedient to God versus resisting and rebelling against Him. Now, I'm not going to finish up all the rest of these of uh, these verses in Isaiah one, uh, but I want to drive home the point of transparent repentance transparent repentance Uh, there was two thieves there was two thieves crucified with Jesus one on his left one on his right and as Jesus hung there on the cross the Bible tells us this gives us insight to this event that took place one thief they were both thieves they both deserved crucifixion under Roman law they both were hanging there but one thief who's calling down curses on Jesus, who's hanging there right beside him, the other thief who deserved the same thing spoke to the other thief who's calling down curses on Jesus and said, what, why are you calling, calling down curses on him? He says, we've both deserved to be hanging here on our crosses. And the, the, the one thief spoke to Jesus and said, Please forgive me for my sins. He was being transparent about what he had done wrong. And Jesus turned to him and said, hanging there on the cross, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Let me tell you what, your transparent repentance opens up the door to a brand new life, a brand new life. Would you offer in sincerity repentance to God Almighty for the things that you've done wrong. I've done this probably thousands of times, and every time I do it, my life is renewed, my peace is restored, my faith is strengthened. All the good possible things that you can imagine happen when you repent. So would you pray with me right now? You can pray in your heart, you can pray out loud, but as you listen to my prayer I hope that you will also pray to God and say, God, I want to transparently repent for the things that I've done wrong. Heavenly Father, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, for my good friend who's listening right now. Lord God, I just pray that you would be with them, that you would help them, that you would encourage them. Lord, I pray that this word that I've, I've this, this podcast, this word that I've just shared with them, that it would make an impact in their life and their heart. Lord God, that they would open up their life transparently and say, Jesus, I am sorry. I'm sorry. I am so weak, Lord God. I need your help to take my weakness and actually make it my strength. Lord Jesus, so I transparently repent and I do a 180. I turn away. I stop doing wrong. And Lord, I want to learn to do right. Please help me, God. And I thank you, Lord, for it. In your name I pray. Amen. God richly bless you.